I thought I'd do is I would uh, just um, continue on and uh, say a few things about uh, more about the love of God and loving God more, since this is our theme Sunday, and uh, we're looking at the love of God. Now, love means to esteem, uh, to <clears throat> indicate a directing of the will, and finding one's joy in something or someone. And so, when you're loving God, what you're doing is you're directing your will in His direction. What you're wanting is to find is to make Him your complete joy in life. And um, <clears throat> and you know that in life, what what takes you away from that is is when you find your fulfillment or think you have your fulfillment in other things other than the Lord. And that's when your love gets changed. That's when your heart gets redirected. So <clears throat> I was thinking about these questions I was asking this morning. Is first one is why do we love God? And that's a pretty easy one to answer, you know, because He first loved us and because Jesus did so much for us. And then I asked, how do we know that we love God? And uh, one of the answers to that is, is that when you obey God, it's no longer grievous to you. Nobody nobody's had to, has to pull your teeth about doing the things of God. And you're not getting offended uh, at the preacher because he's just simply preaching truth to you. <laughs> Amen. And uh, that's, that's a good sign that you love God is when you, when you wholeheartedly accept the preaching of the Word of God and the, and, and the things you get from the Scripture. And um, we finished off, I believe, <coughs> I think a couple of points here, but we, one of the results or one of the evidences of you loving God as well is that we love those who God loves. That means you love the children of God. If, uh, if you love the one that is doing the birthing, then you love the one that's being birthed. Amen. That's why I think families are so strong. I think that's why in your home, with your children, and with your brothers and sisters, it doesn't matter what they do, you seem to always have a connection there and a love for them then that just surpasses anything else. That's because you love the one that is, is birthing, you love the one that's being birthed, <laughs> amen? And we've got to take that same principle over to the children of God, into the church. And think of your brothers and sisters in Christ in that same mentality. That uh, we are a family, <coughs> and because of that family tie, we love one another. And we care about one another. We care about what's going on in our lives. And when you hurt, we hurt. Amen. Uh, one member suffers, and all members suffer. Um, so you talked about loving children of God, and we also talked about loving our enemies, which is a tough thing to do sometimes. But if God is being kind to the unthankful and to the evil, then we should be kind as well and love them as well. Now, the one point I didn't get across um, this morning in relation to this question was that how do you know if you truly love God? And this is the hard one to get around, but others will see that you love God. So they will testify of you. And so if you ask somebody... Does that person love God? They'll have the answer for that. <clears throat> the Bible says even a child is known by his doings, whether his work be pure and whether it be right. And so if you'd mention any child in the church, you'd say, is that a child that does right or does wrong? <laughs> Everybody would know it. <laughs> now, parents don't want you to say that. Amen. But it's true. You know by the behavior of children 
whether they want to do right or whether they want to do wrong. And you, see, you know that with adults as well. And so we can hide under the religious garb a little bit, but I think ultimately uh, we expose ourselves in many ways uh, within our lifestyle, within our life. And we see that in 1 Corinthians chapter 8. Excuse me, my voice seems almost getting worse. I took some magic potion from Aubrey. She brought some to me. It'd probably be worse if it wouldn't be for that. <laughs> Amen. It feels better. <coughs> it feels better, just sounds worse. Amen. First Corinthians 8, verse 1, it says, Now as touching things offered unto idols, we know that we all have knowledge. Knowledge puffeth up, but charity edifieth. And if any man think that he knoweth anything, he knoweth nothing, yet as he ought to know. And that's a good verse to meditate a bit there. In case you think you're too big for your britches, amen? I think you know so much. But then it goes on to say this, but if any man love God, the same is known of him. So I can tell everybody I love God, but it's not about what I say. That's not what's going to convince people. It's going to be what I do. It's going to be my charity towards others, my love towards people. That's what's going to convince them. So how do I know I love God is when others testify of the fact that I love God. And we see that in scripture. Now, we ended off last, uh, this morning, we talked about how that we'll endure trials faithfully and we won't drop out because of a death of a vision in our life. And that's uh, so true. Uh, folks, you're going to find that over and over. Please don't miss what I said in relation to that because that's probably one of the most, um, I guess, forgotten or neglected truths of the Christian life because so many people... When it comes to a death of a vision, they'll back out of God, they'll pull out of the will of God, they'll take control of their life again because they think somehow God is letting them down and now I've got to take control. And what a mistake that is. You know, uh, We know that if we'll continue on uh, just trusting the Lord, even after the death of the vision, there's going to be a rebirth. The Lord is going to take you further. He's going to open up that door and he's going to keep, keep you in the progression onward and upward. Amen. It's not going to be easy sometimes, but it's going to happen and you're going to go along with it. But uh, you got to be careful. You don't duck out because the Bible says you'll have a reward, a crown of life given to you if you will endure temptation, if you'll endure the testings of life. And so just don't quit on God because of that. And folks, I wouldn't doubt that a majority of Christians are ducking out on God when it comes to a death of a vision in their life. When it comes to one of those things that, oh, it just looks like it's all going backwards on me here. Folks, that's the time where God's looking, what are you made of? <laughs> Do you really love me? <laughs> you know, because if you love him, the Bible says that you will get that crown of life. You will endure. You will continue on. So what are the results of loving God? That's what we're going to look at tonight. Um, Romans 8.28, which is our theme verse of the year, good verse. It says, we know that all things work together for good to them that love God and to them who are the called according to his purpose. Our whole life will produce good for us and for others. That's, that's one of the results of you loving God. If you love the Lord, the Bible promises that all things will work together for good. Now, loving God means being obedient. That means that you're going to be making the right steps and doing the right things and handling your relationships right and handling your bitterness and handling your anger and all these things. And if you do something wrong, you're going to get it right. 
You're going to keep a clear conscience in your life. But the Bible says that if I love God, that God will always produce good. And, and good just simply means that which is benevolent or profitable or useful. And so one thing you can't do as a Christian is look at your life and say, oh, what I went through in the past, that was just so useless. You can never say that. You, can even, you can't even look at the mistakes that you made and the errors that you've made in your life and, and even the gross sins that you're ashamed of today. You can't look at that and say, somehow that's useless. I'll tell you why. Because even after you fail, God still can take that thing and turn it around for good. He's not intimidated by anything, you know? So what you don't want to do is because you have failed or because there's been failures in your life in the past, just stop going forward. Stop loving God. Stop being obedient to the Lord because he promises no matter what you've been through, no matter what things have happened, he says, I'll always turn it around for good. But some people get hung up, you know? They get hung up on maybe somebody that has hurt you in the past. And now they're bitter. And you don't love God anymore. Why don't you love God? Because if you would, you forgive. If you're not forgiving that person, you don't love God. So well, how are you to tell me that I don't love God because I don't forgive that person? Well, the Bible commands you to forgive. And the Bible says if you love God, you'll keep his commandments. So if you're refusing to forgive somebody, you're not keeping his commandments. <laughs> and you don't love God. That's just all there's to it. You can say you love God, but you don't. Because it's your actions and your obedience to the Lord that proves that you love the Lord God Almighty. Amen? And so you're going to get hung up on some of these past things, some of these things that are supposed to work together for good. And, you know, in all these things that you try to do, <laughs> here I'm in church today, Say, well, forget about that. I'm just going to move on. But you don't understand. All the things connect. You see, if there's one thing that you're not allowing God to use for good, then the things that you're doing now aren't producing good either. You understand that? If I don't love God today by forgiving that person yesterday, how can I expect things to be produced for good, even no matter how hard I try how much effort I put into going to church and serving and so forth, it means nothing. It means nothing until I go back and forgive that person because I'm disobedient. I don't love God. Amen. And we have to realize that it's so important. It's like that gear is stuck. It's stuck because of my unforgiveness. And that gear is connected to this gear. And this gear is connected to this gear. All the way up till today, I'm, I got gears that I'm putting in the machine. And I'm trying to get something good out of this gear. But because I refuse to forgive in this gear, this one's frozen and they're interlocked with all the other ones. So God wants to turn the crank, produce profitability and usefulness out of your life. Yet there's a gear that's frozen. Now you say, well, it happened so long ago. You got to remember, God doesn't look at your life in the present. God looks at your life in one shot. He look, looks at it in, in, in one glance. He sees your yesterday as same as today and your tomorrow as same as today. He looks at it like a timeline, like you would look at a timeline as you're looking on a piece of paper, seeing the beginning of the timeline and the end. He sees it all at one time because he's in eternity. 
So you can say, well, that happened yesterday, but the Lord's saying, no, it's right in front of me, right here. I see it, you see? So he wants you to deal with that, whatever that is. <laughs> whether it's bitterness, whether it's sometimes even bitterness at God. Maybe you just think that God wasn't right in his decision, you know? You've got to submit to him. You've got to love him. <laughs> you know, if you love him, all these gears will begin to turn and be smooth in your life. And God will be able to crank that thing and produce good out of your life. But that good's not just for you. If you're not producing good out of the things in your life, it's not just about you getting the benefit. It's about everybody around you getting the benefit. <laughs> you're keeping it from their life. So by me not dealing with my stuff, I'm affecting people around me and the good that can come out of my life towards them, they're not getting it. So I'm initially, or essentially, I'm stealing from them. <laughs> I'm stealing from them a blessing that my life could be to them because I simply won't get right in my heart. Amen? So what are the results of loving God? Your, your whole life will produce good, for you, but good for others. And you know what? You can have this crawl in the hole attitude and say, well, my life is my own business and suck your thumb all you want. I'm sorry, that's not God's will for your life. You are here to impact other people's lives. He left you here on this earth after salvation so you could be a help to people. People need you, <laughs> amen? So we, we can't just hide ourselves and say, well, this is my business. And I've talked to enough Christians like that. It makes me sick. Well, I'm going to do my own thing. <laughs> there is no such thing as your own thing. The Christian life is not your thing at all. It's Christ's thing. Your life is hid in Christ, in God. <laughs> you don't have your own life. Deny it. <laughs> Amen. And the Bible says, if you'll lose your life for my sake, you shall find it. And so we need to get over all that stuff and realize that our life is far more about what God wants to produce through us than anything else. And we got to say, is God producing this through my life? Am I being a blessing to people, <laughs> you know? Or am I, am I being a wet blanket? Am I draining people around me, you know? Uh, it's, anyways, Ephesians 3.19 says this. And to know the love of Christ, which passeth knowledge that you might be filled with all the fullness of God. So what I know is this, that I don't, if I don't know the love of Christ, I'm not going to be filled with the fullness of God. Only through loving God will I be filled with the fullness of God. And so that's one of the things that the results of loving God is I'm going to be filled with God's fullness. <laughs> filled with the Spirit of God. Next one is... I'll receive rewards in heaven. We talked about that this morning a little bit. You know, I believe that every reward that you would get at the judgment seat of Christ is based on your love for God. And if you don't love God, there's no rewards. No matter what you've done, you, you, can, you can give your body to be burned. You can give all your money to the poor. There'll be no reward for you. Read 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Though I give my body to be burnt, <laughs> though I bestow all my goods to the poor and so forth, it says it profiteth me nothing if I have not charity. Amen? So loving God makes sure that I get rewards in heaven. 
So whatever this means is loving God, keeping his commandments, all the things I've been talking about. That's going to guarantee that when you meet the Lord, there's something there waiting for you. And you say, I had one person tell me one time, they said, oh, I don't care about rewards anyways. <laughs> well, isn't that so spiritual of you? I do. Especially when you see in the scripture how it's inferred that those rewards ultimately will be cast at the Savior's feet. Think about that for a second. <laughs> oh, I don't care about rewards until you're the only one that has nothing to put at his feet. Nothing. Can you imagine walking down that line with everybody else? <laughs> everybody taking their turns to throw their crowns at the feet of the Savior. And you've got nothing to give. Why? Simple. I didn't love God. I just didn't love him enough to obey him. I didn't love him enough to sacrifice for him. You know, it just wasn't important enough to me. And so it's vital. And the Bible says in 2 Timothy 4, 7, the Apostle Paul, he says, I have fought a good fight. I have finished my course. I have kept the faith. Henceforth, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them also that love his appearing. Amen. That's what I mean. If you look up the crowns, every time it's talking about love there. The same with the crown of life. Didn't we talk about that? And it says, to them that love me. It's always about love. With no love, there's no crown. Amen. And so, we'll receive those rewards in heaven. Uh, Hebrews 6 verse 10, it says, For God is not unrighteous to forget your work and labor of love, which ye have showed toward his name, and that ye have ministered to the saints and do minister. Labor of love. So it's not just a labor. Some Christians just labor. <laughs> and then they want to get paid for it. <laughs> you know? No, they want some pat on the back. They want some accolade. They want their name mentioned in lights. And I may do that. I may just say, hey, this person has helped and praise God. You know? That's wonderful. Give honor to whom honor is due. But you know something? If you're truly serving the Lord, it's a labor of love. <laughs> now, what is love? It's my will directed towards God because he is the whole aspect of the joy in my life. Amen? That's all I want. I want nothing else involved. I just want to serve him. I just want to sacrifice for him. Some people will serve to a point and then it'll cost them too much. Well, I'll serve, but this is as far as I can go. <laughs> well, just remember, love is sacrifice. Love is sacrifice. I'm not saying everybody should give up their homes and just to go serve the Lord. But, you know, you, you surely need to start analyzing your labor of love as to it, whether it truly has the characteristic of love or not. You know, is it really self-sacrifice? Is it really that I love him so much <clears throat> that I'm willing to actually, you know, empty my pockets, empty my time, empty all these things that I could be doing so that I can go help him and serve him and be a blessing to the things of God. And boy, I've, see, I've sure seen that in the last little while, especially in this building project. I've seen a lot of believers that are willing to be like that. I believe it is a labor of love, you know. You don't, you don't hear any conversations about money or 
boy, look at how much I'm worth here, you know. Well, if you would just pay me how much you'd have to pay me to make up what I'm doing here at this building. I don't hear that. They just come and they work. And they realize that the skill they have was for that time as this. It's for this time. <laughs> Boy, we got to think about that. <laughs> it's like Esther bragging that, oh, I'm the queen. I can do whatever I want. You don't realize God put you there for the time as this. Yes. And you just think about that. All the skills that you may have, it's the fact that God gave those to you for such a time as this. That's what he did with the children of Israel in the, in the wilderness. <laughs> All of a sudden you had these guys that knew exactly how to make things out of gold and fashion things and, and sew and all these different things. Managed to let that get through their head, <laughs> you know. But you, you don't see none of that in Scripture. All you see is self-sacrifice, doing it for the Lord, willingly from the heart, you know. Let it be willing, please. Be willing in your heart to give what you have to the Lord. That's love, amen? So another uh, result of you loving God will be that other Christians will love God more because you do. And I see this here in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, And let us consider one another to provoke unto love and to good works. So here I am as a Christian. God's put this on me that I should consider you and I should provoke you and you should provoke me unto love and good works. So if I'm going to love God... Part of that loving is prodding you to love God more. <laughs> Amen? Just think about that in the church context. Your responsibility to the person next to you is to prod them and provoke them to love God and to serve God more. Amen? Do we really do that? <laughs> or does that only happen over the pulpit? This ought be, not be the only place it happens. Amen? It ought to be you talking to someone saying, hey, give your life to the Lord. <laughs> you know, life is more than money. Life is more than all your time and energy. Life is about God. Yeah. And if there's something you can do for God, do it for God. Amen. Boy, is that too much to ask? If, if he gives all for us, like the song this morning, spilled out and broken. If he was spilled out and broken for me, then I will spill myself out and be broken for him. Amen. That was a song. That's what love is. So, to finish off this message, how do we love God more? I think this is one of, probably one of the most important things you need to keep in your mind every day. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, remember from whence you are fallen and how Jesus saved you. This is what the church at Ephesus had an issue with. In Revelation chapter 2, verse 4, it said, Nevertheless, I have somewhat against thee, because thou hast left thy first love. Remember, therefore, from whence thou art fallen, and repent, and do the first works, or else I will come unto thee quickly, and I will remove thy candlestick out of his place, except thou repent. Wow. Repentance. <clears throat> the verses before this, he says, I know your works. I know how that you found those false apostles to be liars. So they had enough Bible knowledge where they could analyze and look at 
teachers and, and people that would say that they're apostles and, and by the scriptures they would know that these people are not true. They were able to, to, uh, to uh, root out false teachers in the church. Say, wow, that's pretty good. <laughs> There's a lot of Christians today, they wouldn't know what false teaching is, <laughs> you know. These guys had doctrine nailed down. But you know what the Lord said? I'm still going to come take your light. I'm going to take your candlestick. I'm going to remove you from being profitable for me. Now, why is that? Because you left your first love. Wow. I mean, isn't it enough just to stand upon the word? Isn't it just enough to, to root out the, the false and evil workers? No. <laughs> Those are good. And he says, hey, I give you credit for that. But it's not enough to leave you profitable in my ministry. In other words, he's saying, if you don't love me, you, don't, you can't do anything for me. Think about that for a second. That really hit me, you know. These guys were good Bible students. <laughs> they knew how to discern doctrine and false doctrine. And, and I've seen so many Christians, they, 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 just, uh, they go around thinking they're so smart. <laughs> you know, I've learned so much. Thinking that God could take you out simply because you don't love him enough. He's I'll remove your candlestick. Candlestick is that which you put the light on. <laughs> so what we have here, according to scripture in this church, is we have a candlestick. And on this candlestick are many lights. And he's granted us this opportunity for us all as lights of the world to be lifted up within this context of Airdrie Baptist Church. But he says, if you don't love me, I'm going to take away your candlestick. It's a horrible thought. It's a heartbreaking thought. Just because we don't love them. Just left our first love. <laughs> so we say, Lord, what do we do? How do we get back? He says, remember. Remember from whence thou art fallen. Remember where you came from. Remember how I saved you and I pulled you out of that pit. Remember how useless you felt and how empty and, and, and destroyed your life was. Remember that without me, you, you would have nothing. Amen. Remember. So even in that, he's saying, I'm not asking you to do anything. <laughs> I'm asking you to remember. I'm asking you to keep in your mind and heart the, the remembrance of of your state before I found you. The where you were, you remember that? You guys remember what your heart was like before Christ came in your life? You remember the thoughts that were going through your head? You remember the loneliness and the defeat that you felt day after day? He says, you remember that. Because when you remember that, then you remember how I saved you. And if you remember how I save you, you will have no choice but to love me. That's where our love comes from. That's the, the fire that stokes it up. Amen. That's why um, Nadab and Abihu, when they didn't bring the fire from the brazen altar 
to light the altar of incense. God had to kill them. They had the wrong fire. And that's exactly what God's saying. He's saying, go back to the brazen altar. Go back to the judgment. Understand what Jesus did for you. See, that's the fire of your love to God. That's what's going to uh, you know, stoke up that incense that the Lord is going to smell out of your life. Amen? You can say, well, I know my Bible. I know how to uh, discern right and wrong. And God says, you're still no good to me. Because you don't love me. Think about that. Wow, that's a powerful message. Amen? That really is. That puts it right where it needs to be. So remember from whence you are falling. Second thing is, guard your heart from love stealers. There's love stealers in the world. And the world has got a system, an a, uh, a algorithm, a, uh, a, a, I don't know how to, how to put this, but the whole thing is geared towards stealing your love from God. Right from the cradle. Right from the cradle. That's why they want your kids. Younger and younger, they want your kids. You know? Soon it's going to be right out of the cradle. You just let us take care of your kids. <laughs> no, sir. No, sir. We need to teach our kids to love God. And we need to warn them that out there, there's a lot of love stealers there. You know, Jude 21 says, keep yourself in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. So you have to guard yourself. That's what the word keep means, to guard yourself in the love of God. So you're on a constant journey here. We're around you. There are things that are trying to steal your heart. That's what it's all about. You know this as a parent that, you know, you want your, your kids to love you, you know. And so you spend time with them and you want them to, to you know, appreciate you. And, and so that when the world comes and pulls at them, their love for you will be stronger than their love for the world. And that's why you do these things with them. That's why you spend time with them. You, you build cords from heart to heart. That way when the world comes with their lasso and they try to lasso that heart and they start pulling on them, that child sees that there's far more cords running to my father's heart than to the stinking world. I'll tell you something, that ultimately may save your child's life. When they get to that thought that, you know what, I'm not willing to give up my family for this world. I love them too much. And it's amazing how many children out there are willing to do it. Just walk away, cut off mom and dad. No love. No love. Love stealers. John 15.10 says, If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love, even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. So how do I keep myself in the love of God? You stay obedient. Amen. You keep following the scripture. You don't develop your own ideas, your own thoughts, your own, well, for me, this works. No, sir. It's the same for everybody. Folks, when I hear people say, oh, that's good for you, but that doesn't work for me, I just want to slap that person. No, I wouldn't, but I want to. You know why? Because it's a stinking lie. And all they're doing is, is stealing away from God's word and the truth of it. <laughs> Folks, I believe the word of God 
if something isn't working and you think you're doing it biblically, it's not God's fault. There's something wrong in what you're doing. <laughs> Amen. I've heard people say, disciplining kids doesn't work. No, disciplining kids your way doesn't work. <laughs> but you use a scripture, it'll work. It'll work. It, it has an impact. It has an effect. And you have to keep doing that. That's the only way you're going to help your children. It's the only way you'll love them. In fact, the Bible says if you don't chastise them, you hate them. Yep. You hate them. So don't let the devil come in your head and say, oh, that's not true for me. Yes, it is. It's true for you as the person next to you. Well, for my family, <laughs> just be quiet. <laughs> Get your ideas out of your head and start realizing the Bible is true for you, for your neighbor, for the person in the United States, in Mexico, in East India, Russia, uh, Africa, uh, even for the Chinese. Everybody, the Bible is good for everybody, and it's just as true and will help every family on this earth the same way. Amen? Guard yourself. The Bible says in Colossians 3, 1 to 3, it says, If you then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, which, where Christ sitteth on the right hand of God. Set your affection on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. The Bible says you're dead. Why are you, why are you focusing on a life that is dead? <laughs> Amen. Our whole affection ought to be given to God. That's what the Bible says right there. Set your affection, your heart, on the things that are above. What are those things? Make a list. Make a list at home, all the things that are above. <laughs> You'll make a list of those things that are below. And then just say, I'm not going to love that, and I'm going to love that. That's what the Bible says. Set your affections on those things that are above. And you know, that means in 1 John 2.15, he gives you the details of this. He says, love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So you can't have this. And I've seen testimonies. I've watched videos online. you got these people that used to grow up in Christian homes, and now they're out in the, the world. They're famous. They're this. They're that. And they're talking about God. And they're saying, well, that's just different for me. And, and yet they're giving themselves a sensuality and, and sexual things and terrible things that are going on, yet somehow, you know, I'm the victim. <laughs> no, you're not. The issue is very clear. You decided to love the world instead of loving God. <laughs> you can't mix the two. You decide to go into the world, you've just stopped loving God. And if you say you love God, you've just stopped loving the world. <laughs> but there is no in-between with him. <laughs> he says that right there. He says, if any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. So there's no mix of love for God and the world at the same time. So these people that are out there giving their heart to the world, giving their heart to fame, giving their heart to money, giving their heart to buy everything they wanted to buy, uh, to all these things that people think are the thing in the world today, those that do that do not love God, even though they'll give a testimony in front of everybody how they love God. Because the Bible says they don't. They don't. If you love God, you will not love the world. And if you love the world, 
you do not love God. It's that simple. Don't you like it that God makes it that simple for us? Amen? And so, it talks about, for all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Love the world is sacrificing for the world to get the, what the flesh wants. So when you're talking about the lust of the flesh, you're talking about doing what you want to do. You ever heard somebody say, well, I do what I want to do. Well, you're just telling me you're living by the lust of the flesh. That's not what a Christian says. A Christian never says, I will do what I want to do. If that's coming out of your mouth, you're in love with the world. See, we don't do that. <laughs> we live opposite the lust of the flesh. We say, I want to do what God wants me to do. It's never what I want to do. It's not what you want me to do. It's not what mom and dad want me to do. It's not what my great-grandpa wants me to do. It's what God wants me to do. And anything less than that is lust of the flesh. Then it talks about the lust of the eyes. This means we want to have what we see. Remember, uh, Solomon in Ecclesiastes talked about that. He says, whatever my eyes saw, that I possessed or that I took. And it's all vanity, he says. It's all empty. So loving the world is you living to get whatever you see out there. Now, how can you relate that to the Lord? How can you flip that on the other side? Well, basically, it's like this. It, so wanting to see and get what you see is, is the things that you have in your life, your possessions. So what do you want for possessions? What do you want for possessions? I know we all have a little, oh, I want that fishing rod, or I want that boat, or I want that skidoo, you know, stuff like this. And I'm not saying you can't say it would be nice to have that, because the Lord knows the desires of your heart, and sometimes the Lord gives you those things, you know. But it's a whole different thing when you're living to have them. So our philosophy of life isn't, I'm going to get what I want to have. It's going to be, Lord, what do you want me to have? What do you want me to have? You know, that'll stop you dead in your tracks before you go and make that loan for that new truck. <laughs> you know, if you just say, Lord, do you really want me to have this truck? Do you really want me to have this thing I'm going into debt for here? And I understand sometimes you got to get a loan and sometimes you got to get a mortgage and, you know, that's a part of life. But it ought to be knowing that we're having what God wants us to have. These are also things, if you look at it, are the recipe for getting your prayers answered. See, until you can say, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do and I want to have what the Lord wants me to have, then thirdly, the pride of life. What's this? The pride of life is what you want to be. Well, I want to be important. I want to be famous. I want to be rich. I want to leave my mark. I want this. I want that. No, no, no. Christians doesn't operate that way. A Christian says this, Lord, what do you want me to be? That's what takes a construction worker and makes him a preacher. 
is the question, Lord, what do you want me to be? How many people, I've, I knew one guy, he was a major league baseball player. <laughs> he asked that question. Lord, what do you want me to be? And the Lord said, not a major league baseball player. <laughs> Yet he was making a lot of money. So he became a missionary. To this day, he's still a missionary. Over and over, I hear testimonies of that. Because you'll never, you'll never go forward to God unless you can say to him, Lord, I want to be what you want me to be. And that means everything that you've ever wanted is held very loosely in this hand. It doesn't mean that I'm just dumping it out and saying I'm, I'm, I'm quitting everything. No, no, no. It's, it's you come to him with an with a open hand. <laughs> so the disciple says, well, we have forsaken all. That means that I've let go of all. I'm a fisherman, but I've let it go, God. That's why it was a big statement when Peter went back to fishing when he denied the Lord. Because <laughs> it was something he had forsaken. You see. So you've got to ask yourself what it is that the Lord wants you to be. What do I want to do? Well, I want to do what the Lord wants me to do. What, what do I want to have in my life? Well, I simply just want to have what the Lord wants me to have. What do I want to be? I simply want to be what the Lord wants me to be. If you can answer those three questions right <clears throat> and pray within those three questions in the way that you're supposed to, you will always get your prayers answered. Because you're always praying for something that he wants you to do. You're always praying to have something that he wants you to have. And you're always praying to become what God wants you to be. To him, it's a no-brainer. <laughs> but let's say I say, well, Lord, I want to do this. Please help me. Why would he help you do something that he doesn't want you to do? And why would he give you something that he doesn't want you to have? So we say, well, the Lord's not answering my prayers. Well, that's because you love the world. You don't love God. See, if I love God, then it's all about what he wants me to do, all about what he wants me to have, and all about what he wants me to be. That's loving God. That's placing it on the altar. That's not saying that tonight that you should go and quit your job, you know. But the, what that means is you're going to have to start loosening your grip. This is mine. <laughs> well, when you pray, Lord, let me to become what you want me to be, this has got to loosen. Like that. Then he says, let me see what I'd like to take. And he takes that out. He says, this is what I want you to do. Maybe there's something you want to have, and you're saying, Lord, <laughs> these are the things I have. What do you want me to have? And he just come into your life and say, let me take this. Let me discard this. <laughs> and give you this. Amen? That, my friend, is living a life of loving God more. So you say, I love God. I love God. And we say that so glibly. I love God. People say, do you love God? I love God. <laughs> it's not about what you say. It's about answering those three questions. Because there's love stealers in the world. And if you are not 
answering those questions, that, those three ways, I'll guarantee you that the world has a part of your heart. And you, you're not loving God as much as you could. Amen? Let's bow our heads. Maybe you need to put it to the test tonight. Are you willing to just say, Lord, I'm tired of doing my own thing. I'm tired of focusing on all the things I want to have in my life. And I'm tired of trying to become what I think I need to become. Can I just lay those things at your feet tonight and just ask you to tell me what to do, tell me what to have, and tell me what to be. It may cost you down here, but the Bible says that your life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which you possess. What you own has nothing to do with your life. God doesn't look at that. It's not important to him. Your possessions are tools. And he wants you to have the tools to do and to be what you're supposed to be. I don't know how the Lord has used this in the time that we've had tonight. I hope the Lord has. But Shelly's going to play. I want you all to stand to your feet, heads bowed, or eyes closed. And I'd like you to just make a decision. <clears throat> However the Lord has led you.